Hey folks, uh, welcome back to the office hours. Um, Barry and I are in the office today and we are discussing something interesting and a little topical, although when this comes out, it'll have been uh, several months down the line. So um, Barry, what are we what are we talking about today? Hey, so you were going to explain to me uh, who the heck Jonathan, let's see, Jonathan Kent was. Who is who is Jonathan Kent? Can you tell me? That almost sounded like we didn't rehearse this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So um, let's talk a little about John Kent. So John Kent is uh, in DC Comics, a Superman's son. He is the new Superman or the current Superman, at least at the time of recording. And Big shoes uh, to fill. Big shoes to fill, right? Uh, the When the big blue Boy Scout is your dad, there's only, you know, big shoes and big capes that you have to live up to, right? So... Uh, John Kent is interesting and he's had a, uh, you know, he's had a, a pretty decent, uh, well, not a decent publication history. I was going to say that a lot of folks really liked that he had a, a, a run of being a young person and then they sort of magically aged him up doing that comic book magic, right? So, uh, I think he, um, at this point is around like 18, 19 years old, somewhere in there. Yeah. Fast forward through time. Yeah. It's like in soap operas, right? When, um, the kids magically age up 20 years. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I imagine that that is a, a point of the st- or part of the, the story is like filling the shoes of Superman. I, I, I don't know if that I, I haven't read the comics. So. And, to, and it's a run by Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, and I've heard, you know, pretty decent things about it, but I've not read it. So uh, what I actually want to talk about, though, is the news impact that he made. Um, oh, so okay. we're recording this in early 2022. But a few months ago, back in October, uh, John Kent came out as bisexual so he was declared the new superman he's taking over his father's legacy and i don't know what clark kent does in retirement or if he's retired or whatever else but he's doing something else yeah it'd be uh, interesting to and they announced in the comic that he is now bisexual he came out right and this met with a lot of mixed reception as i'm sure you can i imagine. I, can, I, I can imagine yeah yeah um <laughs> and so the mixed reception was that on, on the one hand, a lot of folks were happy about it, right? A lot of folks were excited. They were like, okay, it's great to see some more representation. Um, he is still to the, you know, at the, again, at the time of writing, at the time of recording, he is still um, a cisgendered white dude for intents and purposes. I mean, he's an alien, but that notwithstanding, he still yeah. comes, he's still represented in that way. Uh, human passing, as, yeah, as it were. Yeah, human passing, yeah. right. Um, human assumed, uh, one might say. <laughs> so, but he is bisexual. And there's a image that's been circulating of uh, in the comic where he is in a uh, scene that it's he's loving and comforting and not overtly sexualized, but affectionate with a romantic partner. Um, I think they're you know, in close proximity, maybe embracing each other, that kind of thing. And a lot of folks have been bothered by it. There's been a lot of outrage in the usual corners. Right. I think like Fox News chimed in some other places, that kind of sure. thing. Yeah. Taking taking an iconic figure and and uh threatening the masculine uh heteronormative sort of sexuality of that hero that everyone grew up at least being somewhat familiar with right 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 so and of course you know the, the some folks run wild with it and say that they've turned superman gay which i yeah, I'm doing yeah, my, yeah. in my best alex jones voice uh not that he's weighed in but that seems like his kind of strain of thought yeah um yeah. so <laughs> so yeah and there have been a lot of criticism. The frogs got to Superman, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> it worked on the frogs. They're doing it to Kryptonians. <laughs> um, so, oh, man. Um, so, 
what's interesting about this to me is that there have been a lot of criticisms um, outside of that aspect of representation, which is absolutely an important part. And I'm not a member of the LGBTQ community. I can't comment as far as like what it means to to that folks who are um, I do know that positive representation is generally speaking a pro-social thing like it does a lot of good helps people feel like they've been seen by media that their lives are valuable this that and the other right um, but what's been interesting to me is the types of criticism not that there is criticism because that's kind of expected yeah. anytime there's new or anything different like people get upset like they recently changed uh, Superman's catchphrase right yeah it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no longer truth justice in the American way um, now it's, I think, <laughs> truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Oh, there you go. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, how dare we? How dare we not how, make it about us? Yeah. How how dare we not make it specific to a uh, relatively small group of people? I mean, you know, relatively speaking. But right. uh, and how dare we want a better tomorrow for I, just a larger we? Like, come on. Because the implication here is that like a better tomorrow is not the American way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Right. At least that's what people would seem to be kind of un, uh, implicitly making the argument when they criticize this. Right. 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 Um, and, you know, Superman's uh, catchphrase has changed over the years several times. Um, yeah. To yeah, things yeah. like uh, for, you know, freedom and justice or like truth in the American way or truth and justice. What any combination of these things. Right. So anyway, um, nothing new under the sun in that regard. But. Right. Some of the critiques about John Kent are that this is just a cash grab. This is just DC trying to cash in on like yeah. social struggles and, you know, civil rights stuff. And it's disingenuous. It's lazy, which is a, a common critique I've heard. Uh, and that it's just, you know, uh, capitalism. It's shoehorned in just to try and make a buck to, to look like woke, right? That's, that's the, yeah, that's the term that's often uh satirized not really satirized it's just more it's a it's a it's used in a mocking sort of way right it's, like, i've seldom heard it used by people who actually care about civil rights like <laughs> right it's usually like well the wokists wokists which is a new term that i've come across right it's, <laughs> well the wokists are doing the x y and z it's like you're i you've clearly identified yourself so, yeah, so folks have been claiming that this was, you know, lazy writing, this, that, and the other, and that kind of thing. And it brings up this point of, like, when is representation, um, when is it tokenizing, when is it positive, that kind of thing, and is it ever divorced from the capitalist engine that produces it? I would yeah, say, yeah, good question. So, what do you I, think? I mean, r real quick, I, I'm struggling to understand what... and. You know, I haven't read the comic, so I, 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 I guess we both come from that standpoint. But I, I struggle to understand how this element creates a situation, or or is representative of a lazy writing sort of situation, like adding in a character that has this element to them is lazy. Like, isn't it easier to just continue going with the norm of acting like everyone is heterosexual and and just we we create a world that is void of anyone that is not like isn't that easier than bringing I, up a topic and actually like trying to write some sort of nuance into it i don't know i like, mean from a creative perspective i would suggest that it probably is easier just to go with the sort of uh, vanilla cardboard cutout uh, archetypal characters right um, yeah but the I think the idea, I think the allegation of it being lazy is a matter of 
in lieu of good storytelling, they've decided to use this particular identity to like generate controversy and thus move product. Okay. 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 All right. All right. And I think what's, what's interesting to me about that is it would one suggest that the use of, uh, that Superman being heterosexual, that, um, Clark Kent being heterosexual was not in some way informed by the ability to sell papers. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, in the 1940s, if you had an openly gay character, it would absolutely hamstring you. For one, the Comics Code Authority, by the time we get into the 1950s, would have absolutely hamstrung it, right? Would have yeah. uh, stopped that from happening. Um, right. So, like, whether it, whatever the sexuality of the character, capitalism is always going to play a factor in that, right? Uh, if yeah. You, yeah. So, the other thing is, like, it's a, it's a lazy critique, quite honestly. It's a, it's an intellectually lazy and shallow critique because anytime a character is giving an identity, especially one that deviates from the quote unquote norm of, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, cisgender or same gender identified, uh, and expressed heterosexual individual, um, particularly man, but, you know, even, uh, women in this context as well. Anytime that you deviate from that, it's always an allegation of like, oh, well, they're just doing it for money. And and there is some degree of truth to it. Sure, uh, yeah. One example I like to use, and I actually talked about this in my comic studies class recently, is uh, Luke Cage, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. Luke Cage published in 1972, the very first issue, he is a wrongfully imprisoned African-American man who's being experimented, who's being beaten and then experimented on in prison, right? Yeah. And again, 1972, you have all those different social justice issues, all those civil rights yeah. issues combined into one. And right. Steve Englehart, who was one of the writers, he was not the first writer for Luke Cage. That was Archie Goodwin. But Steve Englehart took over after Archie Goodwin, I think after maybe like six to ten issues somewhere in there. At, at, in the original run at some point uh, early on, Englehart picks up. And he says in a editorial forward that he wrote for the collected volume of Luke Cage Hero for Hire. Yeah. Uh, he said, uh, trade, uh, trade edition, he says, Marvel's official stance was pro-human rights. And if we're being honest, they wanted the genre money. <laughs> sure. Right? And that's almost verbatim. Like, he lays it out explicitly. He says, you know, they hired three white dudes to tell the story of a wrongfully imprisoned African-American man in the 70s. Um, yeah. And the only thing, and he says, and uh, Goodwin's research was to go down and watch uh, black exploitation movies. Um, there you go. And that's, and if you read like the original Luke Cage, it's absolutely a hundred percent there. Um, side note, that's a formula for success there. Let me tell you. Right. That's Um, great. So, and as a side note, there was a black comic creator on staff for Luke Cage from the beginning, fellow named uh, Billy Graham, not to be confused with the Reverend. Um, and he, but he didn't have any input into the story until I think Englehart picked it up. Uh, there you go. So yeah, <laughs> and it is. shows like it's it's ham-fisted stereotypical stuff, um, even yeah. by the time standards, right? So, but it was absolutely a cash grab. But without that cash grab, we don't get the like 2017 Luke Cage uh, Netflix series where they are you know tackling social issues in a much more complex and grounded reality we don't where they have you know re- direct references to like the murder of trayvon martin and other yeah. sort of high profile uh you know un- unjust killings and crimes at the time um so yeah like was it a push for money absolutely but without it like there's a lot that we don't get that is pro-social yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no it it I, and 
I feel like it's hard to it's hard to accept sometimes, uh, at least from my perspective, that you know these these companies that are pushing out stories or media just in general put, putting out new media that um, recognizes that there is a trend or a pro-social trend towards um, the these marginalized uh, communities or identities and things like that that um, they recognize okay there's money to be made in making these portrayals representation is suddenly lucrative let's go ahead and go for it yeah they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna make money where they can make money right mm-hmm. uh, but that intent alone doesn't just negate what kind of positive outcomes can come from that right like it doesn't it it doesn't solve all of our problems for sure like the 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 money motive doesn't fix everything but it and it doesn't necessarily mean that the representations are always going to be good like you're pointing out with luke cage but it is going to um but the phenomenon does have some positive after effects is what you're saying, right? Yeah, it, it can. It. Um, I maintain that progress is a series of problematic steps forward. And yeah, I. There, the that reminds me of the the more what is now an academic uh, term of hegemony, right? Mm-hmm. Or hegemony, depending on how you pronounce I it. Have but no like, idea how it's supposed to. It's yeah. either hegemony or he, or hegemony. I don't know. It's it's one of those things that like I'm constantly corrected whenever I say it. No matter how I say it, I'll say yeah. it one way, and then someone will. Oh no no no! It's hegemony. Uh, okay. That, which for, so that which thing. is in and of itself a way of feeding into hegemony. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, do you mind explaining that term and like uh, how it relates to what we're talking about here, especially when it comes to the 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 idea of negotiating with hegemony? Yeah, sure. So uh, hegemony or hegemony or however you want to pronounce it um, is a term that was, if, my, if I'm not mistaken, it was coined and popularized by Antonio Gramsci, who was a, mm-hmm. an Italian uh, socialist union organizer and, uh, and labor force organizer in the 19, late 1930s through the 1940s, and I think maybe into the 1950s. Um, he was a prisoner for most of, he was, of his yeah, work, right? He, like, he kept just, like, not literally, but spitting in the face of Benito Mussolini, who was not yeah. great about critique and criticism. So uh, Gramsci, yeah, Gramsci wrote uh, what <laughs> came to be called the prison notebook um, or the prison notebooks, um, which were when he was in jail, incarcerated for the stuff. He was writing a bunch of things down, sending letters to people on the outside, that kind of thing. Um, and so it's he is he's one of my uh, one of my favorite. Um, although I haven't read all of his work, he is one of my favorite um, sort of social theorists. But uh, he coined this idea of uh, hegemony, where it is essentially the idea that there is a dominant group, and mm-hmm. that dominant group exercises not control but strong influence yeah. um, over the rest of society, including other members of the dominant group and marginalized groups. And that this is done through social institutions that uphold certain norms and ideals. Um, And hegemony is useful in creating a sense of community. It can be very helpful in that way. He points to the fact that prior to, I think, World War One or up until right before World War One, Italy was a series of kingdoms that was united through commerce. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that, you know, labor played a role in that. And that helped to popularize dominant norms of uh, language that were associated with, you know, commerce and trade and this, that, and the other. Right. And right. from a bottom up, it can be very helpful when it, when it reflects the perspectives of the populace, it can be, can be beneficial. But the problem is when it comes from the top down, it can instill resentment, disenfranchisement, that kind of thing. It is right. also in effect, cultural rule and influence through compliance and mm -hmm. through acceptance right so we agree to these rules as people who have to navigate the society and so that makes it um that reinforces the power even if intellectually we disagree with it so when my joke about my, my excuse me my joke about um uh hegemony and how to pronounce it like Telling people how to pronounce it is in, yeah. is in effect a court, a reinforcement of the idea that it should be pronounced yeah. a certain way, right? <laughs> um, so, so yeah, um, it's a tool that is often misused and often used by powers of uh, systems of authority and, and the powers that be to create certain perspectives. And so, clearly, a tool that doesn't require you to under un, like know of or be aware of this term mm -hmm. in order to be able to wield it, right? Like, Absolutely. it's not something that like. And no, there's no way I could be participating in that because I've never heard of that before. You know, like it's, it's, in we're fact, talking about culture, right? It, like it we're works. talking about like our shared culture and, and like the cultural understandings that and agreements that we have between each other and between the society at large and just the social contract. Absolutely. And, and because actually it, it works best when we don't think about it. Um, it is at mm -hmm. its most influential mm -hmm. when we are uh, ignorant of the terminology and also the presence of it. In yeah, our lives, when right? things just are presented as normal to us, not yeah. not at, out of the ordinary. Yeah. One example I use with my students is the idea of like we have a life script we're supposed to follow, right? Which is mm -hmm. like uh, you graduate high school at eighteen, you go to a four year university, you're done by twenty two, twenty three, somewhere in there, and then you go into the workforce, you get a job, that kind of thing, and you so forth and so on, right? Yeah. And then the idea is that if you don't follow that rule, right, if you're not married by the time you're in your late twenties or thirty at the latest, uh, if you don't go to a four year university, any of those things, if you deviate, then you are somehow a failure in some yeah. capacity and yeah. there's an intense amount of guilt that then people who do not meet up uh, live up to that standard and let's be honest most of us don't uh, in some way shape or form whatever mm -hmm. that life script mm -hmm. happens to look mm -hmm. like we then pressure other people to go into that because of whatever guilt or sense of failure that we have internalized yeah right? So, so it is a system that also has regulatory power, um, uh, quite effectively. So going back to the idea of like, whether it's Luke Cage, right? Uh, who was created as a very stereotypical problematic representation of, um, black masculinity at the time, trying to touch on civil rights issues, which it's worth pointing out that in that same comic, uh, the interim warden who has Cage beaten and then thrown in solitary for multiple days at a time is then, uh, replaced by the new warden who like changes everything, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and so there's this like subtext of like, we can reform, right? Uh, <laughs> right. it's also worth noting in that same issue and like the first two or three pages that when Luke Cage is let out of solitary confinement and there's other prisoners who are trying to stay, uh, who are trying to stage a uh, political protest against their abhorrent treatment. Cage is like, nah, I'm not, I'm not with it. Like he says, you know, if I have to suffer, I'm going to suffer for things that I've done. I'm not putting my neck out for anybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. he absolutely refuses to help with the protest and he also refuses to um 
side with the uh, interim warden who tries to have him snitch on the protest, who tries to make him into an informant. So you have Marvel here perpetuating an idea, which they often do in their comics, particularly at that time. Uh, We saw it also with like Sam Wilson and Captain America. Um, uh, Or Sam Wilson when he was the Falcon in the 1970s with Captain America. Um, Of like neutrality. Of like, yes, things are bad, but we can make some minor changes, things will get better, and also let's not be too radical in the process. Right. The solution is not let's not let's not let's not go crazy here, mm-hmm. right? Little tiny changes that are comfortable for those who subscribe to mm-hmm. the larger cultural norms, right? Or or hegemony. Yeah. The thing. Hegemons. I don't know if that's Hege- a word. Hege- that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's new. It, we just yeah. coined it. We just coined it. Now it's popular and it's a thing. Um uh <laughs> We'll make sure it's yeah, to say hegemons on it. Um, and and we see that we see that generally with things that um, subvert the norms or, or go up against or confront or acknowledge some of the the issues with uh, hegemony, right? That mm-hmm. like oftentimes things that are presented as challenges to hegemony uh, come with some sort of a negotiation or a compromise or some sort of like we're going to we're going to make progress but we're we we're going to negotiate with hegemony that mm-hmm. in a way that hegemony is going to be comfortable with this change right mm-hmm. and and um so that's that's what really uh stuck out to me when you said when you had your your coined a phrase that um or you coined your your phrase uh, what is it that you you had your your turn of phrase mm-hmm. that uh you know we progress is a number of steps forward and well, say it again what progress <laughs> progress is a series of problematic steps forward there we go yeah like that that like oftentimes because of this dominant cultural force that's used as a regulatory means to manage people and society in general it's really hard to just have clean cut pro- progressive steps forward mm-hmm away from things that are unjust and things like that, that we, yeah. we, we find it may not be right. It may not be the way that we'd like it to happen, but the trends show that we, we mm-hmm. generally make steps forward with some caveats attached to it. And then as we make these steps forward, while they do contain flaws, we can look at what does well, what is good, and then sift from that, um, you know, how to make the next step forward. Uh, and right. hopefully we get better over time. Hopefully. Not always the case. Right. But the other thing I want to point out was that um, this, uh, that John Kent being uh, bisexual is a use of hegemony, right? Because the title of Superman has so much cultural weight behind it. It yeah. has so much cultural power. I would suggest even more than like Robin, for example, from Batman and Robin. And, and here's mm-hmm. why two months prior. Uh, so in October, um, John Kent comes out as bisexual two months prior, Tim Drake, who was one of the Robins and has had a, you know, decades long history at this point, mm-hmm. uh, also came out as bisexual to not nearly the same fanfare or controversy, right? Yeah. Comics fans knew comics fans paid attention, but, uh, Fox news didn't exactly care. Right. The mainstream cable sure. networks didn't exactly care. Um, yeah. Or if they did, it wasn't very much, certainly not to the degree that they did with John Kent. And so that's an interesting representation or interesting illustration of how the cultural weight and severity behind a certain title, uh, such as being Superman, because we have to bear in mind a lot of superheroes are legacy heroes, uh, can leverage hegemony yeah. uh, in a way that can be pro-social. It can mm-hmm. be uh, mm-hmm. disruptive and positive. 
So, yeah, it's um, it's interesting. And, and there's all other there's much more complex and nuanced discussions to have about things like uh, the issue of legacy characters, because at some point and that it inevitably, whether in terms of the story or in terms of the cultural mindset, the original is always going to be the original and always overshadow uh, the yeah. ones that come after. And, and there's that kind of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years, Clark Kent is back to being Superman uh, because that change would be something that moves more comics. Uh, maybe John Kent adopts another superhero moniker uh, and goes by a different name. Um, but, and there's also the question of like, well, this is still early on. How good is the representation going to be for John Kent? Is it going yeah, to be stereotypical? Yeah, we have yet to see how this is going to play out. Right. So the change in and of itself might be well-intentioned, but perhaps miss the mark, maybe even perpetuate some unfortunate stereotypes, that kind of thing. Or, the, or maybe the comic, uh, writers will walk it back a little bit because of the controversy, right? Tone mm-hmm. it down or not acknowledge it quite so overtly in yeah. future comics just to try and avoid any sort of, um, you know, the discomfort that comes from challenging these things. But yeah. as a company, mm-hmm. you know, that discomfort comes in dollars and or lack thereof. Right. Or, or <laughs> maybe they do something like they did with Batman and Catwoman uh, where they the will they won't they that went on for years and then yeah, she right. left him at the altar right mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm, and that was mm-hmm. absolutely leveraging heterosexuality to move product like that's that's absolutely yeah. what that was but people right. weren't like this is hurting you know our notions of healthy romance because there are no healthy romances in bruce wayne's life at least not in my perception <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure there's any healthy relationships in bruce wayne's life but whatever i would suggest the one he has with alfred and some of the ones he has with his i don't know with his i mean there's moments but it's somewhat codependent it, i don't know that's that's alfred does a profound amount of emotional labor in bruce wayne's life um yeah. so that's fair um but <laughs> There are, there are some great there are some great you know examples of like him and his children you know like having actually healthy relationships there's a webcomic uh that uh dc put out of the, the the bat family where it's them engaging in just more you know loving and like healthy relationships that's a thing it the does bat family <laughs> no one's gonna like make a movie about it i don't even sure. think we'll get a cw tv show out of it but <laughs> that's the hierarchy that is yeah you know like is the cw willing to pick up this narrative because if not it's just not going anywhere there's, um, it's not going anywhere. And if, if they're they not going to do it, they, yeah. If they will do anything, it, they will. <laughs> the CW is just a bunch of shows where, with a particular kind of attractive person standing in particular lighting. That is, that is ninety five percent of it. Um, although I do. Well, really, okay. So this this reminds me. The, this whole discussion reminds me of a common argument that I hear in kind of the outrage sort of cultural responses to quote-unquote woke casting and things mm-hmm. like that and that's uh, i i heard it uh commonly 10 years ago 10 15 years ago i don't remember uh but um it's this idea that you know the the problem with all of this new these new casting choices is that they are they aren't even representing um, in reality, the 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 population at large, right? That there there's there just seems to be too many, 
gay characters coming out now and that like d- disproportionate to the population of of how you know the percentage of people who actually identify as homosexual and so now all us poor heterosexual people have to deal with this influx of uh you know homosexuals in our characters it is over representation is the argument right like there's mm-hmm. just an over representation of people of color and you know, blah 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 and and I mean, to that, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'd love to hear your take on it. But, like, to, to me, I, I, I automatically think, like, were we ever concerned? Were those same voices ever concerned about the over-representation of, say, heterosexual white males in our stories? Not like, was that ever a concern? Right? Like, there was always an over-representation problem in our our media as we know our popular media Ed, did we ever voice those concerns then not even was a that bit. a problem right, right <laughs> i don't know exactly. what do you think no you're you're exactly right i mean like um okay let's use star wars as an example right so yeah. if we're just talking about the, the movies um and those are the only ones i can speak to because i've seen some of the shows i haven't seen all of them that kind of thing which sure. by the way i'm loving boba fett at this point uh the book boba fett <laughs> thoroughly enjoying it um but that's a conversation for another day let's look at just the the trilogy movies um yeah an overwhelming number of white folk yeah in a, in a galaxy that is supposed to have a lot of diversity because you can't you got to figure these planets like should have a lot of genetic diversity on them you know, yeah. uh, they should have a lot of phenotypical diversity on them. But sure. not only is Star Wars just filled with uh, filled to the rim with white folk, it's a particular kind of looking white folk. Right. But there's never any, been any concerns that I've ever heard from the fans about like, uh, oh, there's, you know, too many white people, too many straight people, this, that and the other. You have in terms of LGBTQ representation and uh, fans, forgive me if I miss someone here. Um you have a couple, one couple in the background of the Rise of Skywalker, uh, who embrace, maybe even kiss. Uh, sure. It's a same-sex uh, uh, lesbian couple, um, and that's about it. Maybe yeah. we, maybe we make the case that. Um, Boz and Chirrut from Rogue One, uh, although the, that's outside the trilogy series, but maybe we make the case that Boz and Chirrut from Rogue One are in a same-sex relationship. Maybe, but there's the <laughs> that's that's reading into it quite a bit, right? Um, right. So, and there's you know very few people of color. I mean, quite uh, infamously, uh, George Lucas cast um, Billy D. Williams to play Lando mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the outrage that people were like. You have like how are you going to have fantasy in space, but there's no black people. Um, mm-hmm. You have, as you know, as Philip pointed out, uh, everyone you know thought there was James Earl Jones uh, in the Vader outfit until come to find out, nope, it's a it's a white right. dude, right? right? Right. So like, yeah, yeah, they 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 cast uh, you know Billy D. Williams in part because in large part because of the the outrage over it. So um, it's you know how are we supposed to take that as any kind of semblance of of believability there's just no black folk there's no mexicans hardly any hardly any latinos uh certainly not in the trilogy i mean you have poe dameron although oscar isaac isn't mexican but i mean you know he's he's latino well, uh you have um you have diego luna in rogue one in rogue one yeah, yeah. i was gonna say that's that's where it, that's like the most over yeah and he uses time. his uh 
he's from um the he's from mexico city uh he's from yeah. uh the fa uh, uh right. the federal and um he uses his accent uh openly in that movie and that that was mm-hmm. you know really meaningful mm-hmm. for a lot of folks but but yeah you have people complaining about how like oh you have poe and ray and uh and finn as you know the protagonists and they're just displacing white men you it's like y'all had six movies yeah <laughs> there's there's no displacement we're still watching those yeah no one rounded up those movies and burnt them like yeah like. <laughs> which is somewhat of a uh relevant topic right now but whatever oh, God, uh, yeah. <laughs> um i mean that's literally happening i i won't just like allude to it like that's literally happening right now is people are rounding up books that are written by and about people of color particularly black folk right yeah. and and burning them that how ha- it was at iowa i read in a, a a headline about how in iowa there was literally a book burning after parents took books off the shelves was it I, iowa might have been texas either one it's believable that's the I problem but I like, <laughs> i'm not familiar with that news story i do know that recently there was a rally of would-be nazis or 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 whatever they're calling themselves now at this point in florida um yeah and uh and then there's a the thing with mouse being banned and i think it's kentucky um uh see great because yeah. now we're, we're saved from more people's lives being ruined by mouse right like yeah. that's yeah sheesh Jeez. That's what we got to worry about. That those are the hard issues of today, right? Um, <laughs> God, Anytime, yeah. But yeah. but that's 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 the the contradiction here, right? Is that um, there's this outrage over this over representation or just representation at all of anything outside of what was traditionally understood as the norm. Suddenly, our media has to, at this point, mm-hmm. reflect the the you know the population that it's being broadcast to accurately. Like mm-hmm. s- suddenly, that's that's now it's time to do that. You yeah. know, in the yeah. name of like color blindness that we shouldn't be seeing color and things like that. Like we were not asking for color blindness back when yeah. there was this over representation of white white people in media. Yeah. No one was asking for colorblind casting with like, you know, Empire Strikes Back or things like right. that, right? right. Um, so yeah, it's the other thing is when people make the argument that like, well, these are heroes that I have a hard time relating to, what you're really saying is I have a hard time recognizing the humanity in people with significantly different identity markers. Um which is really unfortunate and really sad. Well, and and ninety nine percent of the people making that argument are also in, in other contexts going to say they don't see color, they don't like it's it, they're not racist, they don't like every they judge everyone based off of their actions, not the color of their skin and stuff like that. But they can't handle having just a a extra person who is not white on screen right or someone who is not straight on screen the idea of perhaps relating to someone who is drastically or even marginally different from them is almost like this kind of mind-bending horror it seems yeah. right so yeah yeah i guess that that pretty well concludes this you know you know pick up a book from uh pick up something or and consume media with people that are different from yourselves and you know created by people that are different from you whoever you happen to be anyway um yeah and yeah. if it makes you uncomfortable spend some time with it yeah yeah uh anyway so 
All right, then, folks, uh, we'll holler at you next time. Um, as uh, usual, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok, or Instagram and Twitter at GACruz underscore PhD, uh, and on TikTok at Dr. Dot underscore C. Unless, of course, you're one of my students who has recently found my TikTok because I've discovered that's a thing, like active students who have, no, keep on scrolling. You don't see me. <laughs> All right. If, you, if you're in one of my classes actively and you see one of my, my TikToks, no, you didn't. Keep on moving. Um, and, oh and start doing the reading for God's sake. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> anyway, um, and you know what? I'm going to open up something new. And Barry, I didn't run this by you, so uh, we can edit this out. Surprise! If you're uncomfortable. Ha-ha. It's fine. If you have things that you want us to talk about, uh, email me um, at gacruzephd at gmail.com. Um, if there's particularly subject matter that you think that like, hey, I'd love for you guys to talk about this, eh, let us know, and maybe we'll do it. Um, you know, if if it makes sense for us. So, yeah, excellent, yeah. love it, love hey, Barry. it. Oh, and you can also catch me at thornburgmedia.com. All right, uh, thanks for dropping by the office, folks. We'll uh, catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>